This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. If you haven't figured it out yet, it is Sunday. Have you figured that out? That's good. Let me tell you a little history on Sunday. Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Sunday is the day that Christians have met together for better than 20 centuries now, including the earliest Christians who met together under the direct leadership of the apostles who were personally trained by Jesus. That's pretty cool, don't you think? That's why we meet on Sunday today. Not that we have to meet on Sunday, but Christians have chosen to do that because they honor what Christ did for us on the day that he arose. And uh, it's my favorite day of the week, and I hope it's becoming your favorite day of the week. Great thing about Sunday for you is you don't have to work, right? Or most of you anyway. And uh, so I just want to say welcome to the best part of your week. And uh, it certainly will be. We are in the middle of a series of sermons uh, on family. And in many ways, the sermon that I'm going to give you today, if you were to sort of to peel the apple and, and, and get it all the way down to its very core. What I'm going to teach you today is the core. And if you, don't ha- if you aren't doing the other things that we talked about, Kevin talked about treating each other nicely, and uh, I talked about putting family first, and we talked about being a family of faith. But If you don't do those things, then what you do in this area probably won't make a whole lot of difference. So we taught you those things first. But when it gets right down to it and you boil it all down, what I'm going to give you today is the heart of the teaching. So we're going to talk today about becoming a family that trains. In other words, how do I impart training to the coming generation? And before we jump into that, Let me tell you, I'm Ron, and if I haven't met you this morning, if you're around here all the time, you know me, but if you're here for the first time, I'll be in the lobby visiting with people after church. Please come by and say hello. I would like to get to meet you before you leave. For all of us, let's go to our programs, let's pull out our fill-in-the-blank notes, and let's get ready to learn some things. I'm going to start with some underlying principles. And the first underlying principle is this. Investing in our families is spiritual business. It hit me as I was praying through the preparation of this sermon that some of you might think, okay, I understand the pastor talking about bringing kids to church. That sort of fits in church teaching and so forth. But all these other things that we're talking about, is that really spiritual or is that just sort of stuff that you could learn anywhere? I want you to know right up front. Here's what God says. He says, train children in how to live right. And when they are old, they will, it should say, not wander from it. (laughs) I have no idea how that word got left out. So that's the first thing you can do to your notes. Put the word not in there. Okay. When they are old, they will not wander from it. Now, what I want you to notice, besides not having the word not in there, what I want you to notice is it doesn't say take your children to church. What does it say? It says train your children in all aspects of life. Down in Ephesians chapter 4, fathers, don't 
irritate your children and make them resentful. Instead, raise them with the Lord's kind of discipline and guidance. It doesn't just say teach them about God. Everything that we do with our children in training them, everything we do with our families in experiencing life brings joy to God if we do it right. In other words, when we take a child from birth and we train them and we mold them and we develop them and we celebrate what God has made them and we deliver them at 18 years of age into adult life and they leave our home and they are well-trained and they are well-adjusted and they are ready for life, man, God loves that. And you can't do that just by taking your kids to church. Conversely, when a child is born in our home and we raise them and, and at 18 years of age they leave our family and they are not well trained for life and they are not well adjusted and they needlessly struggle and, and they encounter pain and hardship that they shouldn't have had to encounter if we had trained them correctly. Can I tell you that makes God weep? Because his kids, who are now your kids, deserve better than that. Is everybody on board with that? I know, that's a painful reality. But it is a reality. So everything we talk about in terms of family is spiritual business, which is why we as a church uh, quite regularly talk about family because we believe that God says that healthy churches should help build healthy families. Because family is the unit in which God designed for us to experience life. Now, the second underlying principle is this, and I realized as I was praying in advance of the sermon that maybe we took this for granted. We're talking about extraordinary families, five commitments of extraordinary families, but I'm not sure it has dawned on us that extraordinary families are always led by extraordinary parents. In other words, if you don't have a desire to become not just an average parent, not just a better than average parent, you have to have the desire to become an extraordinary parent if you ever have any hope of having an extraordinary family. By the way, for those of you who are past parenting and and you're into grandparenting or for those of you who are aunties and uncles and so forth, if you want an extraordinary family, you have to be an extraordinary uncle extraordinary grandfather, extraordinary grandmother. You've got to think outside the box and beyond the ordinary. The third underlying principle is this. Even the most gifted need training to become extraordinary parents. I don't care how natural it is to you. I don't care how great the home was that you were raised in. You know, in every other area of life, we understand this. Every athlete in the world who, who, who attempts to, to be extraordinary, are there any athletes that say, I don't need a coach, I'm good. I was born into a home, it's a good home, my dad's a great athlete, my mom's a great athlete, I'll do it on my own. No, in fact, the higher that you set the goals and standards for yourself as an athlete, the more you realize you need training. I happen to be a golf fan. And so I watch the PGA Tour when I have an opportunity to. Did you know that every player that's on the tour has a putting coach? Every player that's on the tour has a swing coach. 
Most players that are on the tour have a sports psychologist who works with them. All players on the PGA Tour have a fitness trainer that they work with. They have no less than five or six different coaches that they all recognize, I can't get along without one of those if I intend to be an extraordinary golfer. You know, you've probably noticed that around the church, we have a number of families who are raising um, puppies for assistance organizations. Some are for uh, people who are blind. Some are for people who are in wheelchairs. You know what all those people have in common? Number one, they're all extremely good with dogs. But they all go to puppy class every week. Not to learn how to be a puppy. (laughs) Right? To learn how to raise one. You know, it hit me as I was making this sermon. Isn't it sad? That sometimes we invest more in raising dogs in terms of training than we do in children. Friends, there's something not right about that. We've got to correct that. Okay? Even the most naturally gifted people need training. Okay? Let's, let's make training a regular part of who we are. Now, I want to show you something because rather than just talk about training, we talked a couple of weeks ago about a resource for parents. By the way, I'm pretty sure this would be good for grandparents as well. I'm, I'm going to get one and, and look through it myself. And, it, and it's called Raising Your Kids Without Raising Your Blood Pressure. Let me just read to you a couple things on the back. It, it's yours, shipping, handling, and everything for a grand sum in total of 19 bucks, which is less than one trip to in and out for you. Okay? All right, here we go. How to Train Your Children in the Way He Should Go. We just read about that. God's four purposes for your family, how to recognize and affirm the uniqueness of each of your children, the important difference between punishment and discipline, how to trust your kids with responsibility, what to do if you have a prodigal child, how to stop blaming yourself for your children's mistakes, and the secret to becoming a great parent. Anybody got all those mastered? Probably not. Okay, this would be a great resource. It's some ongoing training. So, uh, having those underlying principles down, I want to give you some, we're going to follow an outline of basically two words. I'm going to give you some hope. I'm going to give you some help this morning. And so, let's start with some hope. Now, I know unless you've been, uh, uh, unless you've been under a rock, you have read somewhere statistics about how many hours kids watch TV as opposed to how many hours are with their parents. Are you on board with that? Yeah. And, and I know some of those figures can be staggering and they can be mind-boggling. And frankly, they can be very discouraging. But this morning, I want to talk to you about five basic things that all of us can and should be doing with our families. And if we're, and if we're not parents, if we're children... Even teenage children, we ought to be participating in these things and expecting this of our parents and cooperating with our parents when they ask us this. And if we're aunties and uncles, we ought to come alongside the, the parents in our family and figure out how to, how to work with them and to do some of this with them. Let's talk about those five basic things. And I want you to see some really powerful results that could take place. So let's begin with something we've already taught you, okay? And that is three family meals per week. 
All right? What did we say a family meal was? It was around the family table. It was with everyone present, and it was with all electronic devices turned off, not just turned on vibrate, off. Okay? Three of those a week. Okay? Let's just suppose that each of those meals lasts an hour. And by the way, my experience with my family uh, was when our kids were in our home, that when we did a family meal, an hour was usually on the short end of it, unless we had someplace we absolutely had to go. So we're going to put down three hours per week for that. Now, let's talk about church. I'm going to teach you in a little bit how to make church your number one priority. But let's just suppose, for the sake of these figures, that you do what every Christian family should do, and that is you make church a family experience, and you make it a family experience every week. Okay? The church service itself lasts about an hour and 15 minutes if you come to New Life. And because you all get here early, right? Because you all should get here early, right? You should have a few minutes before church. And because all of you hang around after church, I know you already do that. Um, You got a few minutes after church and then you have some time in the car on the way to church and you have some time in the car on the way home from church. I'm going to show you how to redeem some of that time. You're going to have a minimum of two hours tied up in just bringing your family to church and making it a family experience. Let's talk about school. More specifically, let's talk about homework. Your kids come home with homework every night. As a parent, you should be involved in that process somewhere. I want to be ultra-conservative and say that in looking at your child's homework and in helping them where they need help and assisting them, that you spend 15 minutes a day. Would that be minimum? That's pretty minimum, right? So that ups, you got, you got five days in a week. That's an, that's an hour and a quarter. Now let's assume that you're a good parent and you realize it's my job to actually train my children in the rest of life. So somewhere in the week... You snag another hour, maybe 30 minutes here, maybe 30 minutes there. You're you're showing them how to do the dishes. You're showing them how to cook, showing them how to clean the house. You're showing them how to work in the yard, showing them how to take care of the car. You're showing them how to pick up their toys. You, You got at least another hour in there somewhere that you're working with them. And then let's just assume that you are an extraordinary parent. And so you look for teachable moments. These are moments while you're doing those things or while you're doing other things and you have the opportunity to teach a life lesson. And let's suppose that you do that only 15 minutes a week. By the way, these are all minimums. I hope you recognize that. Very, very much minimums. Very conservative estimates. Well, that's three plus two is five plus one and a quarter, six and a quarter, seven and a quarter, seven and a half hours per week that you are going to be training your children. Now let's multiply that by 52 weeks and we have 390 hours every year that we are teaching our children and let's multiply that by 18 years and we get 7,020 hours of training time minimum. 
Now, if you're like me, it's really hard to pick up on, and to get a perspective on how many hours is 7,020 hours. So you know what I did? I decided, golly, most of us can, re, can relate to a college education. So in order to get a college, uh, a bachelor's degree, usually you have to have 120 credit hours. And 120 credit hours is one hour in the classroom for 16 weeks or for the length of a term. So if we multiply 120 by 16, we get 1,920 hours. So if you have a bachelor's degree, you spent roughly 1,920 hours in the classroom. But... What do they say? You should spend at least two hours outside the classroom for every hour that you're in the classroom. So we're going to add another 3,840 hours for study time because we're all good students, right? Oh, I did take one other thing for granted. This is taking for granted we actually went to class every day. That might even be a bigger for granted, right? But assuming we did all of that, you add that all together and you get... 5,760 hours of total learning experience to get a college degree. How many hours did we have with our kids to train them? 7,020. The difference is 1,260 hours. Do you realize that if you do just the five basic things that I talked to you about, and you do them regularly, and you do them even at a minimal standard, that you are going to have 1,260 more hours in actual training of your children than they're going to get in their total college learning experience. I hope that encourages you. You know what that says? That you have more to do. What you do in your family will have a greater determination of what your children become than their entire college experience. Are you on board with that? That should be a message of hope. That's just five things. So now, how are we going to take advantage of that 7,020 hours? By the way, if you did five family meals a week, you understand what that would do to those numbers? Yeah. We, we laid out three because I, I figured everyone could hit three. But boy, if you work at it and you make it five, the numbers just go up. And instead of one hour a week, if you were able to, to, to put two hours of training in, what you could actually dwarf in training time what your child is going to get in their entire college experience. So now let's talk about the really practical matters of how, how do we take advantage. I'm not going to go back and give any more training on the family meal. We gave that the other day. But let's talk about church, okay? How, how can I make church a family experience, Well, number one, I'm going to teach you that in order to make church a family experience, it doesn't mean you beat the kids till they get in the car and you yell at them all the way to church and you ride in silence on the way home. That's not a family experience. So I'll give you three things that you and I can do in, in terms of making church a family experience. And the very first one is this. And let's, there it is. We need to make church our family's number one priority. You know, the part that saddens me a little bit about what I'm going to say to you is that 
the people who actually need to hear this the most are, are probably not here this morning. I know that some of them are going to listen to it on the podcast. Uh, so that will be good for them. But for the rest of us, I want to talk to you heart to heart because I'm going to hit something that is so counter to the flow of our culture. Did you know we live in the most unchurched area of the United States? Did you know that? We do. Fewer people go to church in this area of the country, right here in Sonoma and Marin counties, than any other two-county area in the United States. And even the people who go tend to go less often. Most of the people in our culture think, man, if I make it twice a month, that's pretty good. By golly, if I make it three times in a month, I am extraordinary. Let's kind of put that on the back burner and say, how often would God expect me to be at church, not from a guilt standpoint, but because that's how he designed it to operate best in my life. I, I, I want you to think a little bit of church like changing the oil in your car. When you bought your car and you read the owner's manual, it tells you you need to change the oil every so many thousand miles. It used to be every 3,000 miles. Sometimes it's five or seven. Or if you have a BMW, it's whenever the idiot light comes on in the dash. All right? But usually, it's about three to 5,000 miles. Does that mean if you drove your car 3,001 miles, the engine would blow up? No. So you think, well, I went 3,001. Let's try 3,002. Four, five, six. In fact, you could go five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand miles, and your engine probably won't blow up. So you say, ah, forget that. I don't need to change oil every 3,000 miles. I'm going to change oil every 12,000 miles. Okay? Will your car still run? Yes. Not as good and not as long. See, the truth is, God designed you and your family to meet together with the church every single Sunday. That's how he designed it. And if you go a Sunday and you miss, no, you don't spiritually explode and you got nothing left. But you know something? You'll never be what you could have been if you were there four Sundays a month instead of three. And if you decide to go two Sundays a month instead of four, you'll never be, you'll never spiritually grow and develop, you'll never have the relationship with God that you could have had if you had gone every single Sunday. Now, I want to show you how that applies most in our culture. And that is, there are two things that tend to take people away from, no, I'm sorry, three, that tend to take people away from church on a regular basis, okay? One is athletics. Everybody on board with that? I know that most of the youth sports in our town are scheduled on Sunday morning. Even the Catholic youth organizations put their basketball games on Sunday morning. Never have figured that out. But anyhow, that's where most of them are. Okay? I, I may lose some friends here, but I want to talk straight up about that. I would never, ever enroll my child in any sports league 
that operated on Sunday morning in such a way that it took them out of church regularly, period. Got real quiet in here. Did you notice that? I want to tell you why. How can you look at your child and say to them, church is our family's number one priority when you have to choose between sports and church, and what do you choose? Sports. You say, but pastor, that's the only time they operate. Oh, hello. How often does church operate? You got it? I know. I'm talking straight to you. You know what? It's because I love your kids. And I don't want you to grow up with prodigal kids who have values that are messed up because their parents didn't choose proper values. If you want to make church a family experience, the first thing you have to decide to do is that church will be our family's number one priority, period. Can I let that sink in? By the way, you know what the other two are? Let's go out of town for the weekend. Okay? Go out of town. Come home Saturday night. I know it's still quiet in here, isn't it? You know what the third one is? Sleep. I have a real good cure for that. Go to bed on Saturday night. It's amazing how much easier it is to get up when you actually go to bed on time. Yeah, and, and friends, I'm not telling you any of this stuff from a legalistic standpoint. I'm here to tell you that if you come to church twice on Sunday, I don't think God will cast you into hell. I think you'll disappoint Him. And I think you'll never be what you could have been. And I think your kids will struggle with their priorities because you're struggling with yours. It's not a legalistic thing. It's a, if you want to be an extraordinary family and you want to be a vibrant Christian, you cannot do any other thing that will make up for what you miss when you don't meet together with God's family like he intended for you to meet together. Are you on board with that? Yeah, I hope you are. I know that's a hard thing to say amen to, but it's right on, okay? Now, I want to talk to you the second thing that you can do. When you get in your car on the way home, talk to your children about what they learned and talk to them about what you learned. Talk about the lessons. Don't get in the car and say, okay, where are we going to go to eat? Like, oh, that's the end of church. No. You know why it's important for you to know what your children learned and why it's important for them to know what you learned? Because... What are, the, what are the three major rules when it comes to determining the value of real estate? The first is location. What's the second one? Location. And what's the third one? Location. Now I want to teach you what the three rules are for taking a lesson and remembering it. The first one is review. What do you think the second one is? Review. What do you think the third one is? Review. 
So you start reviewing when you get in the car on the way home. And then, you know what else you do? Now that you know what your children have learned, and guess what? Now that they know what you have learned, you have this wonderful opportunity to hold each other accountable throughout the week. And can I tell you that children will hold you accountable? That's one of the reasons why you want to tell them what you learned. Yeah, and the older they get, the more delighted they are to do that. And you refer back to it throughout the week. Those are the three things. If you do that, if you get here early and you come every Sunday and you review the lesson on the way home and you refer to it throughout the week as you're training them and as you're interacting with them, then church will become a family experience. Let's talk about school. It's important to choose your child's school carefully. We live in a town where you have the opportunity, actually, to take your child to pretty much any school, any public school in our town, or private school if you can afford it. Take advantage of that. Did you know every school has its own culture? Every school has its own strengths and its own weaknesses. Take the schools, look at their strengths and weaknesses and weigh them against your children and figure out which one is best for your children and then choose that carefully as God gives you the opportunity. Secondly, form a personal partnership with your child's teacher. Don't just drop your kids off at school. Get to know the teacher. Make an appointment with the teacher. I'll never forget making an appointment with, with one of our kids' teachers in high school. And the lady walked into the room <clears throat> where we were told to wait, and she came in, and, and she said, follow me, and, and she sat down. And so I introduced myself. I said, hi, my name is Ron, and this is Monica, and I can't remember whether it was Anthony or Lisa or Angela, but anyhow, whichever student it was, <clears throat> we are their parents, and we are here for one reason. We want to know what we can do at home to reinforce what you're teaching them here. I kid you not, the teacher literally turned ashen, took a big breath, and she said, you'll have to give me a moment to compose myself. I said, why is that? She said, no parents ever come in here unless they just come in with guns blazing. And I have been dreading this meeting all day long. And I just have had a pit in my stomach, and I just steeled myself just to try to be able to survive this meeting. I apologize to her on behalf of all the other parents. Form a personal partnership with your child's teacher. It's amazing what you can learn. It's amazing how you can help with that. Here's another thing. Personally review your children's homework for three things. For content, for quality, and completeness. Content means make sure that it's correct. You know, there's nothing more discouraging to a child than to sit and do a whole page of math and to get to school and find out every answer is wrong. That's not the child's fault. That's the parent's fault. You didn't check to see if they even knew what they were doing. You don't have to check all the answers, but spot check it to make sure that they're doing what's right. Okay? Check it for quality. It's not only important that they turn in a paper, but make sure that it's neat, that the quality of the work that they're turning in is the quality that you would expect and want from your child. And then thirdly, check it for completeness. Children are experts at when you ask them, did you get your homework done? Yeah, I got it done. You get it all done? Yep, I got it all done. And you go look and it was 
Okay, I got all the math done. <laughs> but what about the other stuff? That's part of training them. Check it for those three things. And then last of all, it's very important for you to guide your children in selecting proper friends at school. Because I will tell you this, all the best teaching that, they can, that, that, that you can get them, if they choose the wrong friends, it'll all be for naught. Is everybody on board with that? That's the truth, okay? That's how you work at maximizing the school experience. You can't just drop your kids off at school and hope they get an education any more than you can drop them off at church and hope they get a spiritual faith. Then as we close, let me give you three things, uh, the third thing, and that is take advantage of other extraordinary families. There are other families right here in this church who are taking the journey with you, and I'm, I'm so excited about <clears throat> the people who have told me already about what a difference the three family meals are making in their family. Okay? Find other families that are going on that same route. Why? Because there's two things you need to know. The first is some things are better caught than taught. I can stand up here and teach you, but actually, if you were to hang around a family that was doing the family meals and that was making church a family experience and that was actually doing the school thing well, you would just pick it up from them. You would absorb it because some things are actually better caught than they are taught. And then secondly, when you hang around other extraordinary families, amazing thing happens. They tend to reinforce the training that you are giving your children. You know, it's important for your children to hear the values you're communicating from more than just you. And when they hear it from another family, because your kids ever look at you and think maybe you're a little crazy or a little too hard on them, a little too unreasonable, and they go to over here to their friend's house and they find out, by golly, they do it like that over there too. Wow, that's amazing. Maybe we're not so weird. Maybe my parents know what they're talking about. It's a wonderful thing when it gets reinforced. So as we close, I want you to, if you look at the bottom of your teaching notes, I want you to take out the, that Connect card because I think there's nine different options. And a, as we close, I want to talk to you about why we put those on there. We put those on there mostly so that you can apply what we're talking about today. For some of you, if your children are grown and gone, um, then you'll have to think of it in terms of being an, an auntie or an uncle or a grandparent or whatever else. But please understand this. Those are options. Okay? There's no one in this room that can check all nine boxes and live up to that this week. Okay? You can't work on nine things at once. So I'm going to pray, and while I'm praying, I'm going to give you permission to leave your eyes open. In fact, I'm going to ask you to leave your eyes open. And I'm going to ask you to read down through the options, and I'm going to ask you to, to join with me and say, God, give me one or two of these that I can focus on this week. And this will be your project in our family for this week. You work on that while I pray. Father, I pray for my friends right now. I pray for the truths that they have heard this morning. And Lord, I pray that even right now as they survey this list of application options that you would lay on their hearts 
which one or two would be your focus for them in this week. Father, would you help us as a group of believers, as a community of believers, to take all of our families one level higher this week, that we might be better, more well-equipped, more intentional, more functional families for having met with you this morning. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the baskets are being passed, I invited my friend Michelle to come up and share with us because Michelle has a fun story. As you guys know, on September 11th, we are starting a new series, Bad Dates, Roommates, and Soulmates. It's a relationship series. It's going to be so much fun. It's coming up, not this Sunday, but the next Sunday. And what we've talked about doing is a couple times a year, we just want to invite all our friends to come. Each week, you can invite your friends to come to church, but we try to highlight certain series that we think will really connect with our community, and this is one of them. So you've been praying for five friends on your Fave Five cards for the last couple weeks. Today in your programs, you got this. It is invitation postcards. Go ahead and pull them out. Check them out. They're really nice. Uh, They're not for you. We don't want you to decorate your house or your room with them. Uh, They are for you to give out. You should not have these in two weeks. These are for you to give out. Here's what I know some of you are thinking. Man, that makes me nervous. It's one thing to pray for my friends. It's a whole other thing to actually invite them to come to church. Well, Michelle actually came to church on one of our big day events. when We did our Freedom Series, and I wanted her to share a little bit of her story. So uh, why don't we clap for her just to get her at ease a little bit because she's awesome. And, And Michelle, had you been looking for a church before you came to New Life? Uh, before I came to New Life, I was, uh, I'd visited a couple other churches, and I hadn't found a church that I really felt connected to here in Petaluma, and I'd even attempted driving down to Mill Valley to a church, um, just checking things out. So, Yeah, the tr- truth is people are, are looking. God says that everyone wants to come to know him and wants to be drawn into relationship with him. He created that within our hearts, and Michelle, you're a great example of that. So what happened? Who invited you to church, and how was that encounter? How was that experience? So I'd heard many, many great things about New Life, um, including from one of my former employees uh, that used to work for me about New Life. And one day I ran into Steve Fillinger, and he caught me and said, hey, we've got this really great day coming up. He was really excited about it, and he said, I think you should come and check it out, and I'm sure you'll get something out of it. And how was that interaction? Was it uh, awkward or, or easy, relaxed? What was it like? It was really easy. He actually had one of those about the forgiveness series, a little hand oh, card, and he left it. He says, well, check it out. And he just left it. It was really easy. Well, that's great. That is really easy. I like it. Uh, So what was your first Sunday like? Really awesome. Um, Really awesome. That first Sunday, first thing I knew was that this place was really connected and um, close-knit. People kind of picked me up that I was new and uh, invited me in, welcomed me in. Even in the following Sundays, there was, um, you know, come sit with me. Just, you know, come come on in, whatever. And that first Sunday about forgiveness was so great. And what I really took home was it from it, like, that I had actual tools and information that I could use throughout the week to continue to practice forgiveness with people around me and also with myself. And so it was really important. And then also, I wanted to come back next Sunday and find out more. So that was great. That's a good, yeah, that's our goal, is that people would come the first Sunday and they would want to come back the next week. And we really do want to be an inviting church. And you guys know that. We want to be a church that welcomes people in. And that's going to be one of our key roles on September 11th, is really to welcome people in and make space for them. So how has it been for you connecting uh, both with people and with New Life? Really great. I think there's so many great people here, and I've really enjoyed getting to know people, being part of all the activities that are, that are sponsored by the church, and I really look forward to deepening those relationships. 
That's awesome. And uh, what have you seen God doing in your life? How have you noticed him moving since you started coming about nine months ago? So mostly I noticed that just meeting God every day and like just growing and and my relationship with him and before where it was something that was just kind of touch and go throughout the week now becomes something more of my everyday life. Uh, Guidance, challenges, highs, lows, whatever. I just feel like God's right there with me. That's awesome. Yeah, that's what God does when we come in, right? He he draws us into a, a deeper place of relationship, and it becomes not just something we do on Sundays, but following God becomes something that we are. We are followers of Jesus, and that's really our, our hope and our goal. So what would you say to our friends here who are thinking, you know what, it's one thing to pray, but I am just terrified to invite my friends to come. What would you say to them this morning? Don't invite blow him. this one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Nail it. Nail it. Hit it home. Here. Take the Bible. You can just... Invite him like, yeah, that's right. No, go ahead. What would you say to your friends? I just really appreciated what Steve did for me. And I think that it's just such an easy conversation to have. I really encourage all of you to invite your friends, families, neighbors, whoever you work with, etc. because this is a great spot. We all love coming here. So no reason to hide it. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, Michelle. That's awesome. You rock. You guys, I invited Michelle to share simply because it's one thing to hear it from your pastor. It's another thing to hear it from a friend. This is what happens when we invite people to come. They say, yeah, I want to check it out. God's already been doing something in my life. I want to come. I want to experience him. It does not have to be an awkward thing. It does not have to be a scary thing, but it has to be something that we choose to do. We have to go and invite our friends to come. So you have these cards. There are a ton more out in the lobby. I'll make sure we have plenty for you, but each of us has five cards. I really want to challenge you. Go and give these out and invite your friends to come on September 11th. Bad dates, roommates, and soulmates. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.